Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the game Euro 2022 as we celebrate and rejoice history being made by the Lionesses. England beat Germany in extra time at Wembley to lift the European Championship for the first time. We will talk about the impact that Serena Wiegmann, the head coach, has made to this England side. We'll talk about the glorious atmosphere inside Wembley Stadium and out for that matter. And we'll also talk about what impact and legacy this tournament win could leave on the state of women's football in England. All that and more coming over the next 45, 50 minutes or so on the game. Hello and welcome back to the game Euro 2022 and it's gone too well. It's gone perfectly. We've absolutely smashed it out the ballpark here. England have created history. They've made history. They have won the first major women's tournament. Fantastic, dramatic, nail-biting final at Wembley. As you know, I'm sure you all know, against Germany, the eight-time champions. Chloe Kelly poking home. Doesn't matter what they look like. They all count, okay? And you know what? It's funny. On this podcast, I, I wrote notes and I was like, we should talk about the game. And it's a weird feeling. We've never been in this situation where it's like, does it even matter? We won. That's the only thing that matters. Why would we analyze how the game went? We got the W, we lifted the trophy, and there were absolutely fantastic emotional scenes at Wembley to go with it. And everything that we spoke about on the previous podcast about impact, about legacy, will hopefully now come to fruition. I don't know what to say. I'm joined by Gregor Robertson, the former England captain, Casey Stoney, of course. Uh, we will be with Molly Hudson, who's been down in Trafalgar Square very shortly, and the chief football writer of the Times, Owen Slot, will join us as well. But Casey, I've got to start with you. Just your overriding emotion after England's victory. Well, can I be really honest? I can't stop crying. Unbelievable. Because we tried for so many years to change the game, and they did that yesterday, and... I'm just overcome with emotion, so proud. So what Serena Weaver has done with that team is incredible. To do back-to-back European championships with different nations, like Dame Serena for me, absolutely. And I watched them do that yesterday. I watched Jill Scott pick up her medal, Ellen White, and and those that went through the generation of being told for so many years that you shouldn't and you can't just because you're a girl. What they did yesterday, we tried to do for so many years, but I think now was the right time to be a game-changer. 
at Wembley at home Euros with 17.45 million people watching and they deserved it. You know, I thought, listen, I thought Germany were exceptional as well. I thought it was a very cagey, edgy game. I thought Germany give us problems. You know, I was, I was half celebrating. I know it was sad for Alexandra Pop, but I was half celebrating when I knew she weren't going to be in the team because I thought she was going to give us a, a real challenge. But that team showed, you know, and I heard Leah Williamson's quotes about legacy and they wanted to be winners. They've done that. And by winning, by winning yesterday, that changes the game forever. We got the special moment as well with Chloe Kelly's goal. And we got the drama that helped add the audience as well, didn't it? There is the case being made by a lot of people today, Casey, about huge transformational effect after Chloe Kelly's goal. Not the way she scored it, but maybe the way she celebrated it. You know, that moment of ecstasy, joy, pulling the shirt off, waving it over her head. It, it was reminiscent of the United States. 1999, you think of, of, of Brandy Chastain scoring that penalty against China in the final. That changed the shape of women's football in the United States, where you now are based. For generations to come, the United States, as we know, went on to success after success after success. Do you think there can be the same from our own liftoff moment happening, of course, as theirs did in their home nation? Yeah, we have to. It's interesting because I was actually with Brad Chastain a couple of weeks, weekends ago. She was down at our training ground and I know she she tweeted Chloe Kelly yesterday. And interestingly, I used to take Chloe Kelly to the train station when I was at Arsenal and she was training there and she couldn't drive. And what a journey she's been on. But I think the key part is here is we have to capitalise. Soccer here in America is, isn't the mainstream sport for men. Where That's where the competition is. for, And I don't like it. I think we are one nation and we're one one sport but there's always the comparisons and I don't think we should use this tournament as a stick to beat the men's team with either you know we should support England no matter what and it should be pivotal it's about the FA now making sure that they capitalise it's about sponsors not jumping on for one game you know investing in the game now for the long term to make sure there's investment in that the resources can change and you know I said this this will change the game forever and what I meant was like I just want my little girls to grow up with the same opportunities and not have the same barriers and same the same obstacles and the same things to face and be told they can't you know it's about schools making sure that football is on the PE curriculum for girls and boys not just boys and yeah I do I'm really intrigued to see the first attendances at the the WSL come September and see what they do I know obviously Tottenham are playing in a big stadium so they'll naturally get a big crowd but what's the carryover what are clubs like Manchester United Chelsea Arsenal Tottenham going to invest in their marketing to make sure that we continue to get bums on seats because we've excited a nation now we've got to keep them we've got to keep people coming back we've got to keep the investment there and we've got to make sure there is no Never a day where a little girl's told they can't play the game anymore. Those days should be gone. Well, that was my next point. You spoke about your youngsters, you know, growing up and having opportunities, but there needs to be that framework, doesn't there? And you look at how things progressed in the United States after their their win, and you're coaching there at the moment. You, you we know that there's a huge college sports system there. That's a one way of developing people, and we know that football, particularly in Europe, doesn't match that framework. It's a weird one because the two worlds will collide, as you are clearly testament to. And and for for many young female players in this country developing their game by going to the United States to university is a genuine opportunity if you're not going to become a professional player at the age of 18. Yes, we want people who can become pros and we've had we've had people playing for England when they're 15, 16, you know, early on, you know, in, in previous generations as well. I wonder what you think about how England can can look at the United States, look at that framework, look at that pathway to either just becoming a pro getting out there on the pitch and improving your game, where that comes from. You know, we want the impact for the fans, yes. From a player perspective, 
What can we learn from the United States? Well, firstly, their pool of talent here is absolutely vast and it's massive because of the amount of people that live here. But it's the culture. 99 changed the game forever here. And I, you know, our training ground is based at a local soccer club. And when you drive over the hill, there's hundreds of girls playing every single weekend. And it's the norm. For every three girls that pick up a ball, I think two boys pick up a ball. So it's very much, you know, orientated towards the girls a little bit more than it is the boys. I think we have to capitalize on the grassroots game, make sure that the facilities are right, make sure that there's no boundaries for the young girls, make sure that there's teams. I, I have to say, growing up, I wouldn't have wanted to play in a girls-only team. I would have wanted to play with boys. So having the access to both is really important because some some girls won't play the game if it's a mixed game. They want to have the safety of playing with girls and staying with girls and the social element as well because you know that's really important research shows. But also, if you are a competitor and you want to play at a you know really high level and you want to achieve, then I would have gone down the boys' route. So having the ability to do both, but I think it's changing attitudes. It's changing the attitudes of the parents on the sidelines because the amount of abuse I got because I was a girl playing in the boys league was unbelievable I could have quit the game a thousand times because of the amount of stuff that happened when I was growing up you know we could be changing the attitudes of parents changing the attitudes of coaches changing the attitudes of PE teachers changing the attitudes within the country because I've always said this on a lot of different issues I think football can speak to society you know we talk about equality and we're we're a million miles away from that but what happened yesterday I think speaks to society as much as it speaks to the game. So, yeah, it's really important. I also think the diversity issue is massively important as well because there is not enough diversity in the women's game. I've been saying it for years. You know, I spoke when I was at Manchester United quite heavily on it because it is not accessible to all. You know, you still have to pay to play in certain areas, the the social elements, socioeconomic elements of the game where you have to pay to play and players can't afford it in certain certain inner city areas. We have to make the game more accessible so the pool gets bigger and everybody has access to the game that we we love money is the key word isn't it it's going to start coming in to the women's game more and more has done over the last five or so years but of course as you mentioned bums on seats that brings in money you've got the sponsorship broadcasters as well you think the broadcasters are going to be more interested now now that all eyes are on it you think uh, i spoke about it on a previous podcast didn't you those brands those companies that maybe weren't in it before might want to we heard alex scott speaking uh, at the end of the game saying look those companies out there that, that haven't been interested in the game and suddenly want to jump on the bandwagon, don't call me. Well, that's one way of looking at it. They, pr- they probably are going to call you, by the way, Alex, um, because everyone wants a part of it, right? But ultimately, it will come down to those who administer football clubs and the bo- organising bodies, the Football Association, to use that money wisely and to put it into those areas so that girls don't have to pay to play football. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't turn professional until I was 30 years old. You know, and I'd been through a lot of caps and a lot of years before that and worked full time. Um, so, yeah, it's about investment it is. And, and it's not about don't call me now. It's about call me and it's about putting the game at the value that it's worth. You know, not devaluing it, not giving away tickets anymore so that we get bums on seats. Put a value on it. You know, if people then want to come, they want to come. Same with the sponsorship and the marketing. Put a value on it. You know, you know, obviously there needs to be a lot of research about how many people are watching the game. And I think people will jump on it now and absolutely take advantage of it. Because if we can get that investment now and we can get those more eyes on the game, get more bums on seats, we can get more investment at the top, we get more grassroots club running at the bottom, that's just going to improve the women's game for the future. I need to talk about this investment a little bit more, Gregor, don't we? Um, 17 and a half, pretty much million, the TV peak, but there were 5 million more watching online. Absolutely staggering numbers, record numbers throughout the tournament in terms of viewers. Also inside the stadium, it was a record attendance for any European championship match, male or female for that matter. You know, there have been incredible sights to behold throughout the tournament. 
we heard at the end of the game about some of those clubs that had been slow on the uptake, let's call it that, being generous, right? Not wanting to be involved with hosting games at this European Championship. There were other teams that took a long, long time to even have a women's game. Clubs in English football with vast sums of money, some still don't, right? So so where do we go from here in terms of those clubs cottoning on, all right, and, and accepting now that they need to be a big part of the women's side of the game as well? I think the, the tone that Casey struck there is absolutely bang on, is that you really kind of, there have been so many wrongs committed against women's football over over a, long, a number of decades and also over recent years. We need to look to the future now. This is an opportunity and it's time to look forward. And I think a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of individuals as well, actually. I, I did a piece from the from the ground yesterday and a number of people I was speaking to was this is the first time they've ever been to women's games. There's a lot of new converts, a lot of people who've been, who've come along, gone along to their first games of, you know, the first Lionesses games as well and just thought this is, this is brilliant. This is an amazing atmosphere. It's inspiring. It's great. It's a great spectacle and it's great entertainment as well. So it's not just about business. It's about, there've been a lot of people for whom this tournament has been sort of a revelation. I'd actually, to be brutally honest, put myself in that group. I think I've, I've, it's been an absolute joy to watch and cover. And it, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in quite the same boat as you guys in that. Um, you know, you talk about we. I don't, I don't see it from the patriotic side. But I live in England. I've got a, a daughter who's 30 months. Uh, my my partner Susie played for Derby County when she was younger, and she played in the FA Cup when she was 14. She got to about 18, and it was like I'm going to go to uni now, and there's not really much to see. And in terms of playing football, she was emotional last night when I got back from the game. She saw, she watched the game. She said she teared up. She you know, she's Scottish like me. She's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not all about England, actually. It's about what what this England team represent. And that is that for me anyway, after being at that game last night was the was the thing that stuck with me. This is not you know, clearly there's a huge huge patriotic side to this, but it's it's actually bigger than England. I mean, listen, I might as well refer to, to Casey on this. It was emotional. I know you said that you've been crying the whole time. I kept thinking back to when I was a kid and you'd always watch interviews on like BBC London with players from Charlton and stuff, right? And they'd be talking about how there weren't opportunities, there weren't avenues for them in the same way there were for, for the men's game. This is when I was a kid, right? Not that I was big into women's football then, but you know, over the course of the years, being in journalism and speaking to people who have made so many sacrifices just to keep their own journey going in football. You know, I thought of them yesterday morning as soon as I woke up. I thought about all the people that have been literally flying the flag for so many years for this, screaming and shouting about it in the face of so many naysayers and people in football told them basically it'll never work. And look, so many people that have passed, you know, we're talking a century back, people who were banned from playing football, who I'm sure, we, we don't even know their names, had a love for the game and weren't even able to play it. You know, I mean, they're probably looking down on Wembley Stadium last night. Hopefully they were and they had a big smile on their face wherever they might be. Casey, just tell me what you, you know, those people that you've met and yourself in the game, what it, what it must mean. Yeah, I'm kind of lost for words really on it 
but I could go, a lot of words and could go on and on. Like I know uh, I saw a tweet about Kelly Simmons and Kelly Simmons has work, been working in the FA now for 30 years. And it was two minutes before the end of the game. She said 30 years of hard work and finally we've done it. I look back and I was at Charlton when we played in an FA Cup final. And two weeks later, we lost our job because they disbanded the women's team because they got relegated. You know, I've been on a hell of a journey myself. I've seen the likes of Karen Walker, you know, Sammy Britton, Hope Powell. She's played a massive part in this in terms of what she did with the England team, getting central contracts, knocking doors down when people didn't even want to open them, you know, and, and Sue Campbell going in the FA and, and changing, you know, the, the way they do things within there, the hiring of Ser- Serena Wiegman and, and what she's been able to do. This means more than I think you could ever really possibly say because it's not just about England, it's about women. And I think that's the part is changing the narrative around women in sport. You know, when you had one sentence off the back of a final, now we're front and back pages. Women's football is going to be, people are going to watch it. You're still going to have absolutely your your, your audience that's like, don't want to watch women's football, don't ram it down my face, don't have female pundits, except you're going to have people that are going to continue to say that. But I think those are going to become less and less and less and the game is changing. For me personally, like, you know, I text Jill yesterday, I said, you use no idea what you've done like in terms of changing the game forever for all the little girls. And but and we talk about the little girls picking up, but it's more important that it's everybody because those, my little boy's going to grow up knowing his sisters are his equal. He's going to grow up knowing that women's football is the norm and successful women's football is the norm. He's going to grow up in a world where, you know, he's not going to tell them that they can't. He's not, uh, my little girls aren't going to get bullied for playing the game. They're not going to get told they shouldn't and can't do something and that it's a man's world and that it's a man's game. And that's so important. Like, and I think it's a sport. You know, I always say, I always look at tennis and you don't compare male and female tennis players. I look at athletics and you don't compare because biologically we are different and the comparisons need to stop. And I think this tournament has gone a long way to do that. And like, I always thank those that went before me because they paved the way for me to have the opportunities. I'm, I'm living in San Diego as a head coach of a NWCL team, living my absolute dream. If you'd have said to me 30 years ago when I was 10, I'd have been doing this. I couldn't even dare to dream because I couldn't see it. Now we can see it. You can believe in it. You can be it. And Gregor got me well in again then when he was talking about, you know, his, his missus because this means so much to so many in the game. And it also means so much to so many that are going to come into the game now. So, yeah, so proud, overwhelmed and... Yeah, it's a game changer, an absolute game changer. Got to think about what the clubs can do now. Uh, Like we we spoke about a little bit earlier on in terms of the money coming in. Yes, you know, they have to capitalise on this. Um, They're going to have to find the right price point. They're going to have to find the right marketing. They're going to have to use the stars if they have any that are in this squad as much as they possibly can to try and get people through the gates. But we know there's going to be, and this is the, this is the, the balance, isn't it? There'll be offers now for the WSL in terms of broadcasting. And, and I know from my profession, you know, if you put things front and centre on TV, you then get fewer people going to the ground because they can watch it, of course, from the comfort of their own home, which in July maybe isn't a big deal, but in the heart of November and February when it's ice, ice cold, especially when you've, you might be wanting to take young children to a game and it might be an evening game, for example. They need to find the right slots for these games now. They need to find the right coverage. They need to think about where the big games are in terms of men's football and whether eyes will be on that and whether they can, of course, you know, Super Sunday, let's call it that, Gregor. We won't name companies, right? But does it need to now have a WSL game intertwined with it, you know? And, and the FA works out, the Premier League and the WSL 
and a TV broadcast schedule over the weekend that fits like a glove, if you like. I think scheduling is the biggest thing, you know, and it's been its biggest issues in the past, if I'm honest, in terms of scheduling. You can still have those super Sundays. You can still have those moments. It's making sure the scheduling has a key mark game, like a, you know, a key game every single weekend, whether it's a midweek game or a weekend. Can you have a big fixture, no matter what it is? And then you sell the hell out of that fixture. Then everybody else can still attend all the other games, you know, and it's making sure that, you know, I watched the Premier League when it was in covid and it was so quiet. It was a difficult watch. Now, that's been women's football for so many years. The atmosphere is bought by the fans and the crowd. You know, so we still need to get people coming into the crowd, even if it's on on the TV. I think the fact that they could schedule it around, you know, I think they've tried to do that recently where they've put the big games in the men's international windows, which I think is still another window you can use and exploit. I think it's encouraging. And, and I went to the Men's European Championship final last year. I would have never took my children there. It was absolutely one of the worst football experiences I have ever been to in my entire life. I was frightened. I don't know because I didn't go yesterday and I'm gutted I didn't. But I can imagine Wembley Way looks very different yesterday. And that's I mean, a unique selling point. That's what I wrote about in, in the paper today. I, and I, I didn't go with an agenda to say, you know, co- let's compare it to last summer. But people were, there were people who were at the game last summer and there was there was guys, there was guys there who were there, there with three daughters saying there's no chance in a million years we would have taken them and they were beaming and they were so excited and it was just it was just such a happy vibe there was so you know just excitement and happiness that was the two things that just leapt out at you there was no like edge there was no you know there's one thing that was quite funny there was a thing that was like a temporary tattoo stall and it was saying dispose of your waste apparently these events make seven tons of waste per per day and it's like dispose of your uh, your waste responsibly and there were like you could get tattoos that said don't be a waste man and things like that but then you just <laughs> so then you just went hang on a minute you look down and there's no plastic cups there's no beer cans there's no nothing there was a family sitting on the steps that like leading up to Wembley playing cards there was like these referees uh, sorry like uh, street performers dressed as referees on stilts like brandishing yellow cards to little kids and stuff everyone was just having a great time uh, it's it's an amazing thing there's people who sneer and they're kind of cynical about that and you know and there, we have to be honest there is something about in the men's game the tribalism that we all enjoy but th- this is different and it's it's special it's like it's an amazing experience i have absolutely you know loved every minute every moment of it and at every game but Wembley was just something else because it was like, it was almost, it was kind of symbolic. There was, you stepped out of Wembley Park Station and there was this sea of people kind of leading towards the arch, just all like marching towards the kind of what they hope is going to be a vision of the future. I thought it was just, it was really moving actually. Yeah, absolutely superb. Wish I could have been there. I've got to say, we had a long-standing family event yesterday, so I was the guy watching on his mobile phone, uh, not not speaking to any of the, I have to say, my my partner's family. But in a positive sense, she messaged me. She was out working this morning, and mid-morning she just messaged. And she's not into football massively. I've taken her to a few games, and she said, I really wished we would have gone to the football yesterday. So, you know, there is an impact for those people who – She's not a football fan at all, I've got to say. She hates it. She has to watch a lot of it. She's not a football fan. If we can get many more of those people interested, then we're definitely doing something right. But I'm glad you mentioned the nature of Wembley Stadium yesterday, Gregor. Um, up next on the podcast, we'll find out what a little bit more what the game was like, what the atmosphere was like, the experience of the team in particular and what Serena Wiegmann has brought. And we will be dipping into some of the fantastic scenes in Trafalgar Square as well. So stay with us on the game. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really really want it all to work out while you're away. monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So joining us on the game podcast next is the Times Chief Football Writer Owen Slot, who was at Wembley uh, yesterday. We'll be speaking to Molly Hudson in Trafalgar Square in a second. Uh, but Owen, I just wanted to start with you and pick up a little bit on what Gregor was just speaking about in terms of how he felt um, with the atmosphere, the difference and the contrast with last summer at Wembley Stadium as well. It was a magical day for England fans. Just tell us what it was like, if you can, being one of those fortunate people who were inside Wembley Stadium, got to experience it it firsthand because it was, a, like I say, a very special day. Yeah, it was. It really was magical. Um, I, I've been to two of the England games, the Austria game and um, uh, the quarterfinal against Spain, and, and both times had sort of, you know, the, the difference tw- between a, a men's game um, the demographic, the the, the behaviour, um, the, just the general festival feel is just so clear. Um, uh, but then to get it on on Sunday night last night, you know, at a at a packed Wembley, uh, at a final where you know the bloody fifty six years and all that nonsense is is on the line. I mean, it it, it, it was it was a, a grand grand occasion, but it was also a a unique one. And uh, I, I, I'm just sort of wrestling with with how we're going to look back on this. But certainly last night, I felt that we were there for uh, an occasion that felt historical. And and today, um, twenty four hours on, I feel I feel. A bit emotionally knackered, but I still feel that that last night, yesterday was was a, his, a moment of history that I was really privileged to witness and and just enjoyed hugely. In terms of the football, in terms of Serena Vigman and what she's done to this team, I think it's been a remarkable transition. I don't think any of us were picturing this when Phil Neville announced that he would be leaving the job. Casey, I should probably ask you about this. From a football perspective, what has Serena Wiegmann done to ch- change this team and make them immediate winners? She's been unbelievable, hasn't she? You know, you think about that achievement of doing back-to-back European Championships, winning them in your home nation of different countries, 
unbelievable. She's given them, she's instilled confidence and unwavering confidence in this team. She's very clear around her expectations. Every player in that squad knew what they were there to do, whether they were to start, whether they were to finish or whether they to not play. And I think that really helped them manage their emotions within the tournament. They're so together. You could see that they were having fun. And she obviously clearly did a lot of scenarios. So she was a scenario-based head coach. If this happens, we do this. If this happens, we do this. So her planning and preparation and, um, and for the what-ifs has been second to none. And you think about those key moments where they've needed that, that you know, Millie Bright going up front and causing problems and obviously Ella Toon getting that equaliser against Spain. Otherwise, we're out. You know, even I thought Ella Toon's finish was exquisite yesterday and it couldn't have been more fitting that it was Kira Walsh that played that pass because for me, she was the player of the tournament and people won't talk about what she did but she was absolutely outstanding and she's trusted these players. You know, Mary Earps grew in stature during this tournament, key, key saves in key moments. And she put belief in her, you're my number one. This is what I want from you. And, you know, they're, they're, they just said they were nothing but winning was in their mind, you know, and it was a, an incredible occasion. The football came home. And I think now, she, even though before this game, she's talking about the experiences this tournament to prepare for the World Cup. So she's constantly planning and, and preparing and looking ahead. And, and yeah, she's the best. She is absolutely the best. And I think England want to keep hold of her for as long as they can. Isn't Serena Wiegman the, the, the boss that we all want now? And, and I hope my own boss is listening. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, she, just the, the magnificent way that she manages people, the way she's so calm, the way she makes them feel they can do anything, the way she talks to them with such honesty, you know, make, the, the way she, she makes them feel confident to... to to express themselves. I mean, it, you just go, oh, I just would love a bit of Serena Wiegman in my life. I think she's, I think there must be loads of people going, that is just the way to do it. Beth Mead was asked about her after after the game and she just went, what a woman, what a woman. Yeah. <laughs> just, just kind of exasperated. It's like, you know, I don't really know what to say. She was, because she was asked what, what she'd said in the kind of huddle before extra time. She was just so calm. Like she'd already sort of instilled the belief in us which meant that we had the belief in each other. There was still that kind of calmness there, even as the kind of maelstrom swirled around her. And I think that is the, that is the kind of the key thing. It's been managing to, to kind of make the players feel such kind of strong belief that they can do this. And that kind of grounds them, I think, even in, even in the most sort of high pressure, well, moments that they've never experienced before. And it's been a remarkable achievement. I think for me, I don't know how you feel about it, Casey. Um, one of the good things about seeing some male coaches in the, the, the women's side of the game is that uh, the women coaches that replace them can show us how bad they were. Um, because these coaches are doing something special, the likes of Serena Wiegmann, Emma Hayes, maybe it has transcended in other countries. Maybe that message has got through in other countries that female coaches are just as capable but actually, I think we've got so many coaches now showing us that that is the case. I, I don't want to be one of those people that thinks that the goal should always be to manage in men's football. But I definitely think football has had an issue, not just in terms of coaching, but, but with the capability of minority groups in major roles. All of those myths are being dispelled by some incredible people inside the game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what people need to realise is as a, a minority group, be it female or diversity, you have to work twice as hard to get in the positions that you get in. So normally you've you've really worked, you've earned your stripes. You know, every coaching course you go on, you're probably the only one in the room. You have to earn the respect for five days whilst you're on there, you know, and you have to do all the work. You, you have to work twice as hard and you dare not fail. 
you know, because you're judged on, on you know, your first result, your second year result, and then you're judged on your gender because of it rather than it actually being about your ability to do the job. So, yeah, I think they are doing huge amounts for, for football. I think Serena was, listen, she's going to have a after-dinner engagements, leadership um, conferences coming out of her ears, you know, whenever she decides to step out of the game because how she remains so calm in the chaos I think we could all learn incredible lessons from. And that's because she's so planned and prepared. She knows what she's going to do before it happens. Therefore, when it does happen, instinct just kicks in and she knows what she's got to do. So, listen, I, I, she's right up there for me as a role model, you know, in terms of where I want to take my career. And she's someone that I would look to and say, right, you know, how can I achieve anything near what she's achieved? Well, speaking of keeping the calm in the chaos, Molly Hudson has been in Trafalgar Square where the England team have been celebrating with thousands of fans a little bit earlier on today. Fantastic images. Molly, one of the things I did want to ask you about, and we saw it a little bit more today, the personality and character of this England squad and the way that they have been able to form a bond with the the English public, the English football fans in such a short space of time is a real positive for the game as well. I think it feels quite surreal. I think that was probably the thought process as I was kind of watching the Dionysus at Trafalgar Square today. It was like, I can't quite believe this is happening because we knew what the potential of this team was and we knew that, you know, if they won this tournament, what could possibly happen? But it all happens very quickly. I think if we watch the final last night and suddenly these players, you know, Chloe Kelly, who started this tournament as someone that wasn't even sure if she could play it, you know, was in the last year literally hadn't been able to go to the toilet by herself because of this anterior cruciate ligament injury, was suddenly able to be a national hero. And it's like, it changes so quick. And I think that's what, you know, we as, as journalists that were that were there, you know, Owen and, and Gregor was there as well. You don't quite realise just how quick in a second in a shot Chloe Kenny's life has changed. And you look at the team today and there were thousands of people at Trafalgar Square for a women's football event. And, you know, maybe this sounds a bit emotional. Maybe it sounds like an England fan, but I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime for an England women's team. And that's what this team have done. And I don't think that legacy quite sinks in and I don't think it will sink in for quite some time because what they've done is literally change society in this country and beyond and I think it's it's quite incredible to see all of the fans today with their their women's shirts with their you know the names on the back and you just think you know what this team have really changed things in this country and I can only hope as someone that you know fundamentally is a supporter of women's football that this legacy continues because that's what the players deserve and it's just an incredible achievement for, for all of them really I mean for someone so young Molly my only message to you is you've got to be a little bit more optimistic I mean leave it at least <laughs> 10 more years before you turn into a grumpy old woman please I'm quite worried that my career has peaked at 24 to be honest <laughs> <laughs> with, with, no chance with Molly of, no chance we've won a European championship in a home tournament I mean what, what's the best we can do maybe a, a home World Cup and realistically that's not going to happen for a few years so it's like well maybe I've reached the peak at 24 what think, more is there to come I think some opportunistic politician will be like preparing a bed already actually I certainly hope they are I think you know <laughs> what, we've, what, we've, what we've seen this month is actually that for all of what we discussed at the men's tournament last summer this country can produce a fantastic tournament without any of that negative spotlight and we can do that and I think 
that only holds England in good stead if they were to bid for a World Cup. You know, I think there's talk of a Europe bid that would perhaps mean that we didn't bid for, for the next World Cup after after the one next year. But I just think this has really started a movement in this country for in football. And I think, you know, we talked before this tournament about the fact that clubs were literally having to be begged to hold these games. That won't happen again. If we hold a World Cup in this country, stadiums will be begging to be one of those stadiums because that's how much the women's game has progressed in the last literally a month. And that's incredible for the sport. It's incredible for the legacy of this tournament that actually people want to be involved in this movement now because that's how big and how important that it's become and how engaged the, the general public have become to this tournament as well because, you know, you walk down the street now and you sit on the tube and people are talking about it and that's something that, you know, in my lifetime would never have happened about women's football and I think that's just the most fantastic thing that's come out of this tournament. I think I'll end by asking you all the same question, but I'll, uh, I'll begin with you, Molly, as you're with us very shortly. What is your hope for what happens next? to women's football in the UK? My hope is that the Women's Super League games can experience what we all experienced last night. A crowd that, you know, they lined Wembley Way with street uh, shirts of, of, of Gerard, of Gascoigne, but alongside them was Williamson. And to see an engaged football fan base that really cared and really understood but was willing to go and and watch that game at Wembley. We want more than that. We don't want fans to just watch at Wembley. We want them to go to these home stadiums. And I think that's the key. If we, you know, we've got a, we've got a World Cup in less, in less than 12 months' time. And we must really extend this legacy in that period of time. We can't let it drop. We can't let women's football become a tournament sport. We need to extend this legacy. We need to see these lionesses that have performed so well this summer at their stadiums, their home stadiums for their clubs. They're playing fantastically. You take someone like Millie Bright, who's had a fantastic season for Chelsea in the past. We need people to go and support these players all year round because that's what they deserve. That level of performance that they've delivered this summer, they're performing all year round. People just don't know. They don't see it. They don't realise where it is. And that, for me, is the legacy that I want this tournament to have that it's not just the tournament that they can watch these players for their clubs and they can deliver. And I think for the players, that's the most important thing, that they're not just... We don't just want Chloe Kelly to become a hero for a week, a month. We want her to become a hero for the rest of her career. We want people to come and see her at the CFA, at the City Football Academy. And I think that's the main thing to really understand that this is not just a tournament, this is their legacy and these players aren't going anywhere. They're coming back to their clubs to continue what they've done before the tournament. Molly Hudson, uh, thank you for joining us on the Game Podcast. Clearly, Molly, uh, in a very busy and loud Trafalgar Square this afternoon, joining us on the phone as well. So apologies if you had any difficulty hearing her, but she's been brilliant on the podcast all summer. So Molly, thank you so much for being with us. Owen, I'll come to you next. What's, what's your hope for how um, this tournament win can, can affect football in the UK, women's football in particular? I think I'd say that, uh, I mean, I, I agree with, with what, what Molly says, but rather than <laughs> repeat that and probably not so eloquently, I, I would just say I, 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 I think uh, and I hope that it influences attitudes to, um, to, to girls and to, and, and to girls' sport and to how brilliant it can and, and should be. I, I think it's been interesting that, that, that this massive um, push for women's football, great, absolutely, absolutely great, but 
but you know, you, you might not want to play women's football, but but you might now think that that you could do any other women's sport. And I I, I just think it to contribute contribute to the to the whole movement that that uh, that sports should and can be accessible, and that you know the number of teenage girls that give up sports um, uh, is is terrible, really. And and that if these if these um, uh, lionesses can inspire uh, girls to feel that that sport is for them, whatever sport that is, then then that that kind of um, goes to to what they to, to their broader mission that they've talked about, which is it's not just about football; it's a, more a societal thing. And that, and I think it can be that. I can only really echo what's been said, and it's that two kind of prongs to it. And that one, I want from a purely, <laughs> partly from a selfish point of view, I want if if what the lionesses have done uh, this summer and hopefully continue to do, uh, if that means more opportunities for my my daughter, who's very young, and you know, children her age, and young children who who want to play sport, who want who just will have the same opportunities as as boys, then that will be an amazingly powerful thing. And when it comes to looking at the the WSL, I just I, you can only echo what Molly says. It's about visibility. It's about its projection, and it's about its growth. Because the more we see them on a weekly basis, on a kind of day to day basis, and you know there's a part of the kind of whole whole sport and news agenda uh, it's not just looking at you know this huge kind of wave of of attention when when major tournaments come around for england that's the way that it, women's football will grow kind of on a, a more sustainable basis and so those are the two things that i really hope and 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 wish that um come to fruition after this Casey, aside from winning the World Cup next summer, what's your hope uh, for how this can affect women's football in the UK? Yeah, I think that World Cup and sustained success is important. Oh, listen, I've been at a club in the, in the WSL and my call out is do more. Do more as clubs, promote this team more, put more money into marketing the game, put more money into you know making the game more visible, do more. That's the only way we're going to capitalise. And I have to say, even if you don't want to, it's not all about being a professional footballer. It's about having access to the sport. So making sure we have more girls teams up and down the country, making sure more girls have access, but not just, I take this podcast as an example. I'm a female head coach. Molly's a female journalist. I think what this does is show, especially throughout this tournament, there's so many different roles within the game now for females. And it's promoting that too, because not every little girl grows up being of a, uh, a dream of a professional footballer, but they can still be in the game and love the game. And, you know, clubs need to do more. The FA are doing a great job. They need to continue. Um, and it's about grassroots and it's about the very top. It's about having more females at board level too, making critical decisions. So, you know, my hope for the game is big, but we need to capitalise now. Like Molly said, it can't be once every four years that we have this conversation. Yeah, this isn't really the end of the road. The work starts here. Yeah, it's been a great, great summer. It's a very weird feeling. I'm sure you all feel the same way. That was too easy, wasn't it? wasn't it? <laughs> it didn't it feel like that last night at Wembley, to be honestly. It certainly didn't. But I know what you're saying. There's been moments where it's been like, wow, they're just an unstoppable force. But there were moments last night when I thought, oh no, it's going to penalties. And that's going to be yeah. them. <laughs> Do you know, I always felt confident. I, they built that into me, I think, during the course of the tournament. I felt like 
a bit how we used to see the Germans. It was like, even if they don't play well, they'll get a result. I sort of had that feeling about England, even if they weren't at their fluent best, that they could definitely win the game against Germany. I was I was always comfortable. All right, maybe that's a bit of a lie. That's a bit of a lie, I've got to say. Um, but it happened in the end. And yeah, absolutely magnificent. So congratulations to Serena Wiegmann and the Lionesses. Um, it's been a real pleasure to be with you all, especially you, Casey, um, joining us for the game podcast throughout this summer. So thank you for being with us. I know you've got an extremely busy schedule and we've recorded all of these first thing in the morning uh, where you are as well. So really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening as well. And we will be back very, very soon with the game podcast as we look ahead to the start of the Premier League season. But we've appreciated you all summer. Remember, but make sure you subscribe. And if you want to get more of our award-winning journalism, read more of Molly's great articles, then you can check it out, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game, or just download the Times app. We'll see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.